Good, 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 good day, and welcome to episode number 45 of the Average Man podcast, Black Door. Paint it black, paint it black. It's called Paint It Black, sorry. Um, this week, I'm just going to do a quick shout out to people who um, have been supporting me and, um, yeah, and not dragging on too much. And uh, as I do, this, this episode is a little bit longer, it's about an hour and a half. Um, I have my wife on here. We spoke about some pretty heavy stuff, our journey. Um, together through mental health, depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, and a few uh, other bits and pieces in between. So, yeah, I just wanted to quickly run through the people who have been supporting me and who I'm really appreciative of, and then we'll get straight into the to the meat of the podcast. So, uh, shout-out, as always, to Ross from Two-Way Higher Services. Um, thanks, heaps, man. I really appreciate everything that you're doing for me, that Ross has been doing for me. He supported me from the beginning. He's been here for me to bounce ideas off. Um so, yeah, big ups to Ross from Two-Way Higher Services, man. I uh, appreciate everything you've done for us. Uh, also, shout out to Cat Carlos of Captured by Carlos. Carlos has um, been on the podcast a couple of times. Um, we are in regular contact over Messenger and whatnot and bump into each other around town on occasion. And he's been really helping me network, getting uh, new voices um, on the podcast recently. So I really appreciate you, the hookups, Carlos. I've got a few coming up in the next few weeks that have been yeah, teed up from through Carlos and his, his contacts, man. And um, just the continual support, sharing my posts and everything as well, helping us, helping me network. And I'm trying my bit to, to help him network also. So big shout out to Carlos of Captured by Carlos, man. Uh, shout out also to Brad Holder from PCC Productions. Brad's always there when I want to get any information on sound, uh, audio uh, equipment. I've been upping my system lately with the new interface, double um, dynamic microphone system setup that we used today. Also, you know, just a bunch of different technical questions I have for him on on the best way to do things. Brad's always got some time for me and answers for me. He also gives me the down low on local live events and music events that are going on in and around town. Uh, so I really appreciate your time, Brad. Thanks heaps for everything you do for us, man. Uh, shout out to Ibs and Kate from Ironworks. I uh, really love what those guys are doing. They've been on the podcast recently also. Uh, they're a great couple and a great family who are do, who have recently bought a gym in town and, and are doing their thing, working hard, also helping support me, sharing my podcasts as I drop them, and I'm trying to do my best to support them from my end as well. So big shout-out and thanks to Ibs and Kate from, from Ironworks. Uh, shout-out also to Waza from Pilbara Adventure Riders. Keep doing what you're doing, you mad bastard. Go check out the uh, episode 5 o'clock somewhere to hear Waza's story and journey over to up to Cape York earlier on this year. Shout out to Greg Chamberlain of the Healthy Warriors, also been on the podcast recently, uh, did a walk. He walked the Gibb River Road for uh, post-traumatic stress disorder awareness, which ties in very nicely with today's podcast. So go check out that one. I was only 19 is the, is the name of that podcast. Uh, also would like to shout out to the boys from Shaft and Spearfishing. Hopefully we get there soon and catch up and have a bit of a chat and a yarn with those guys. And, yeah, there's a bit going on uh, in the near future. I've got Carly Orr from Life and Soul coming on, Jared Goyan from uh, Northwest Muay Thai, Nikki and Gloria of Home Hardware and Cross the Road, my friends, uh, coming on. There's a few other people um, who will be coming on pretty soon. Um Melza Chorus, who's a sponsored athlete through Life and Soul also. So, yeah, big shout-out to everyone around the community who are helping me out, listening, uh, doing a bit to, to help us network and share the content. And, yeah, really appreciate all, all you guys. Now I'm going to jump straight into this podcast. As I said, she's a pretty heavy one today, but, you know, we keep it casual, keep it light, even though it's a heavy topic, and it's basically just a journey 
through down to the deep, dark depths of depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, and a few other things, and and um, how me and my wife battled and found our way out of that back to a better, healthier place. And hopefully if anybody gets anything out of this today, if anyone hears this podcast and it makes them feel a bit brighter or helps them fight through another day or it helps them talk and speak up, um, and highlight some of their own problems or anything. If anyone just gets anything positive out of this one today, then it's been um, a really 100% win. I hope you guys enjoy it. And thanks, everyone, again, for all your support. So that's Average Man Podcast preamble out of the way. Let's jump straight into this biatch. All right, take it easy, guys. Thank you. Okay, g'day. How are you going? Welcome to episode number 45 of the Average Man Podcast, Paint It Black. So this week, um, I'm going to do something a little bit different. Um, I'm getting my wife to come and have a chat with us, and we're going to tell you a little bit of a story. Uh, So basically, my wife is a nurse. Um, She works in the community uh, nursing at the moment up here. We've been together 14 years, married for eight two little kids, as most people who listen to this podcast would know. Um, basically, we got married in 2011, March 2011, and a week later moved up to Port Hedland. So we had a honeymoon in Hedland. Lucky, lucky us. And basically, we just never left. Well, we did leave once, but we came back. So what we want to do is just talk about um, mental health, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, basically a journey um, of, with depression, um, not myself. I don't. I don't uh, suffer from mental health myself, but my wife does, and several other people in my life. So I've lived with mental health for a long, long time. Not not having it myself, but alongside it. And I've always kind of um, said that even if you don't have depression or mental health issues, when you live with someone very close to you who does, you know, you you live with depression, not living with it as in you have it, but you live with it, and it affects your life. Um, Every single day, it affects your life, you know, in its own way. And this isn't a poor me thing. I'm a I'm a happy-go-lucky guy. I think I've been dealt a pretty pretty good hand in life. I'm very positive, and and um and I'm I love where I am in life, and I love what I'm doing. But I'm just saying that for people who live alongside people with depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, these things, you are living with it also. And I'm sure that people who are close to people who suffer from these things know what I'm talking about. So I thought, you know, 
there'd be a good chance for my wife and I, Ems, her name is Emma, um, we're in a, a pretty good place at the moment, you know, everyone has ups and downs in life, but we're in a lot, lot better place than we've been in, in past years, um, the recent past years, and I thought it'd be a good time to recap some of that journey, go over it with her um, and you guys and tell a bit of a story and the ups and downs, you know, of that story and where we got to in our relationship and in our life and her with her with her mental health and how we've come out of it and, and where we are now. And I just thought it was an important thing to talk about. People are always talking about mental health awareness, get rid of the stigma, share your stories, make, make it safe for people to speak about it. So I guess I'm just going to do my part in that and, um, and talk about this journey. My wife's pretty open about things. She's a little bit nervous about doing this today, but we'll get her comfortable and, and get her into the groove of things easy enough. And it's really just about doing our part to share a story. Um, hopefully it reaches people and helps other people and helps them to, to, um, to reach out and speak to someone else or some, myself or someone, anyone who, who, who they think they can talk to about this kind of thing. Um, you know, she always had manageable depression, my wife. We had our ups and downs. And then there was a culmination of events that really triggered a, a downward spiral over the last few years. And then, like I said, we worked our way out of that, that hole. So I just wanted to go give a history and a rundown and um, then really sort of I'll get her in here and, and we'll go through events bit by bit and tell a bit of a story, as I said, and just hopefully this can this reaches people and this helps people and someone gets something out of it. If one person gets something out of it, then the whole thing's worth it, really. So a bit of a history and rundown quickly. As I said, we, we got married eight years ago, moved up to Port Hedland. Um, we had our ups and downs like everybody else. Uh, the first time around, my wife missed her family a lot. Um, I was still quite... I was young and wild and unpredictable. I was a bit of a wild uh, man back in, in my younger days, you know. It's just turned into weird, being a weird dude as I get older. So, but I was still a bit wild and unpredictable and partying a bit and, and, and she had the you know depression and that, that can sometimes uh, complicate those issues as well. And, uh, but we were generally happy, satisfied and, you know, um, young couple just trying to get ahead and make our, make our way. We've been trying for kids for a, a couple of years before we finally succeeded, and I mean, we would we tried hard for a couple of years. It was quite stressful, to be honest. Both of us were told that we weren't able to conceive. Apparently, she wasn't producing enough eggs, and then I wasn't producing enough sperm, and there was no way we were going to conceive naturally, and we had to do IVF. So we registered for the IVF program, and there was a year waiting list attached to that. So we figured, look, while we're waiting for that, for our medical, for that's for the subsidy, you know, like um to kick in so that was covered under our, under our medical private health insurance so we thought well in that period let's let's do some holidays go for some holidays stop worrying about it stop stressing about it and during that period we fell pregnant surprise surprise didn't need IVF so um look we had a good birth the first time around it was up here in Headland great team here the midwives in, in Port Headland it was really personal experience Everything was really great for us. The actual birth was complication-free. Um, there was some complications after birth that we've had recurring issues from ever since. But really, it was a good, just a good birth. Everybody got to connect. Me, and my wife, me, me with my son, Emma with our son. You know, we all got time to 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 connect, and it was a really good, healthy, happy experience in general. As I said, there was some complications afterwards. Um, that, that that came back to bite us a few times later, but it was a really good um, uh, experience. And then, um, basically, we went down to to Port to Perth for Christmas of that year. And um, was it the next year, two thousand and thirteen? So of the next year, we went down to Christmas 
It's set to Perth for Christmas, I think, yeah. And um, started deciding that it was time for us to make a bit of a move. And that's where the story uh, sort of kicks in. So what I'll do is I'll get my wife to come in here in a second and um, we'll start the story from December 2014 when we head down to Perth for Christmas. So I'll be back in two minutes. Right, so I am back. Back here with my wife, Emma. Say good day, Emma. Hey, everyone. So welcome to the Average Man Podcast. A little family event we got going on here. So Emma sat, sat down. She's a bit nervous. She's uncomfortable. She's not sure what's going on. Well, she knows what's going on, but she's a bit uncomfortable. So we'll just ease into it. Um, we had a quick chat uh, off air then, and it was Shady was born in uh, July 2014. Yep. yep. And then that December, we went down um, to Perth for Christmas. And we had no plans before Shady was born of, of leaving Headland. We were pretty happy where we were. We're pretty comfy with the way things have been going, but having a boy, having a son, and then going down at Christmas, I think a feeling started to brew then, hey, that we, we wanted to be around family. Yeah. Yeah, no, we, I think we kind of were done our time in Headland because we were, we had the kid, that was kind of the workup, wasn't it? We were like waiting for that moment. And um, yeah, and we had him, and I think with, I, I know, I felt we needed to be around family feeling that he was missing out. But yep, aunties and uncles and cousins yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that that feeling started to brew in December 2014. So then we came back, um, returned back to Perth, uh, back to Port Helen from Perth. And for me, Emma sort of and I had chatted about it, and this is generally the way things go. Um, Em's kind of mentions things out there, and, and then I get this thing in my head, and I'm, it starts becoming... Fixated. Yeah, it becomes concrete. <laughs> and by the time we got back to Port Hedland and back to work and everything in January, the feeling of certainty had set on me that we were, we were leaving Hedland. Um, Emma had the same feeling and I said, well, that's it. Down to Perth we go and we created this little plan that we're going to go down to Perth, get a bit of experience for myself working for myself down there and then move on down to, to Margaret River. That was the other thing. I think work was starting to slow down, wasn't it? Cause the boom, was The down. boom was going here, so we're like, oh, well, do we really need to be here anymore because... The boom's gone, work's not as consistent. Um, but I think that was the other thing as well. I was fearing us moving down to Perth going, oh, is work going to be consistent there either? Because the weather, the, the rain off days. You've always, she's always been nervous about me being in the, <laughs> like in the, the, the building in, in the building industry, trying to talk over one another, hun. So I'm getting a look, I'm getting a look I'm for just, saying that. Yeah, because I'm nervous. It's so structured it's right. here. It's all right. It's not structured. It's just only one person can speak. At a time where we don't hear nothing, anything, pardon my English there. So, look, we come home, I'm, I, a feeling settles in me that we're going to be leaving Headland and we set a date for August, a month. We set the month in stone, August we leave Headland. Yeah, and you got pretty nervous. Mm. I can't even remember what how that sort of year went until we got to Perth. It's weird. That, that was kind of a blur. Okay, well, I, for myself, I, I remember... We we set the month in stone, and you kept trying to shimmy around. Are we sure we want to leave them? Do we want yeah, to do this? Yeah. Do we want to do that? And you and you were really un, unsure and uncertain. And I said, and I said it in my head, and up August is the date we need to work towards that. So we had something to work towards. And over the next few months, for myself, um, obviously we had Shady. You went to back. You went back to work. Yeah, that year? that's what I was thinking. That's what happened. So he was nine months old, and then we just that's when we first put him back in daycare. So that was a bit. And then I started getting momentum back into work. So I was doing two days, one week, three the next, and then I started picking up more shifts. So I was doing four a week and then um, going, okay, well, this is 
It was hard at first, definitely. It was hard for you to put him in daycare. I've he was a little baby. Feeling, yeah. He was only little, and I'm sure a lot of mothers know that feeling, and and dads as well. But I think but mums. It was, good. it was good. I think mums feel it more, and he was a little fella, so we had to put him back in there. But for me, I started reading a lot of books, audio books, and listening to a lot of podcasts. Um, Joe Rogan Experience, Fighter and the Kid, Brendan Bouchard, who's a life coach, a lot of YouTube clips on motivational speakers and books, and and I really started to gain this momentum. What happened? It happens to a lot of. I'm not sure if this happens with women, if it's different for women, but with a lot of men, you get this sort of rule. The wind gusts up in your sails when you have a, a kid. You want to do the right by them. You get this, you know, you, you go full steam ahead. That's basically what happens, and that's how I felt. I was on this on a roll, building this momentum, building the bookshelf, building the bookshelf. It was bare grills, some random things on there too. Yeah, I, I don't listen, know how that fitted into that. I listen mostly to audio books <laughs> because I do it at work and driving and things like that. But I started really just getting this motivation I'd never had in my life before. I'd always been a real cruiser, a real chiller. Like I work yeah, hard. Good. But I knew how to chill hard as well, <laughs> and I started getting this this um, momentum up. So uh, the dream was, I uh, moved down to Perth, leave in August, start my own business, Renovate. get my builder's ticket, fix up the house, um, and then eventually um, we would move down to Margaret River, and that was sort of our dream build our build our dream house down there. That was kind of the, the plan. Em was nervous and unsure. You had postnatal as well a bit after Shady and uh, mixed with the long-term depression. So things were up and down and a bit a bit rough um, through that period. Stopping on that bit, I think I didn't know I had it at, at that time. I thought... Postnatal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that wasn't like with the second we'll get into later. The second birth was definite. Um, but the first time with postnatal was more... I felt I was just lonely and need to be around family for... You know, and that's the reason I was, you know, d- the depression accelerated, I think. But, um, yeah, I think it wasn't as noticeable when we first moved back to Perth. Yeah, yep. Right, so um, basically I'm like a man possessed. This idea in my mind, I know what I want to do. From, from, in my mind, I'm, I'm looking at building our future, learning. I've got so much to learn and... and uh, I had a little time to do it in, really wanted to hit the ground running down in Perth. And Ems is a bit nervous and a little bit of postnatal, although we, she probably didn't know it at the time. And basically, I think then a little bit of a void started to open between us. I was on a different mindset to her and maybe she felt a little bit left behind by that. She was a bit unsure and I was charging full stream ahead. Um, so like two different mindsets going going into this thing at this stage I guess my confidence is through the roof I'm motivated I'm scared but that like I like that because it makes me excited and is probably a bit nervous and not quite sure about moving down to Perth and what she's going to do when she gets there yeah. um, we leave Headland with a bang we had a big piss up and everything and we left Headland drove back down I drove down with the dogs and um, all our gear was on the truck one of the cars was on the truck and you flew down with the cats and with Shady. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and we settled into our old house, a house we built in 2008, a house that Emma always hated and basically needed a lot of work. It had been rented out for five years. So I um, built that house when Emma and I had been together for just a few years, I guess. Uh, and she, she, her name was never on the lease because my parents helped me get the loan for it. And she never felt any connection to it. She felt like she didn't. It wasn't her house, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I just, I'm a bit. 
like exactly like you said, I'm a little bit more st- sort of structured. I like the the income of a job to be regular. I like the the legalities of things like my name written on something to feel like it's mine. I just felt, yeah, disconnected, I guess. You yeah. did feel disconnected and you didn't like the house. And we moved yeah. back into it and she was a bit tired and needed some work. Um, but, I mean, we, we really hit the ground running, I think. We got there, our gear rocked up, we unloaded the whole house in about four days with a bit of help from the, the grandparents, as we always do whenever we move. We're not those yeah. people you come around six months later and we've got fucking cardboard boxes as coffee tables and one room's unpacked. Like, we don't do that shit. We get there, <laughs> we unpack the whole thing. Yeah. yeah, We got there and got the whole thing done in about four days. And, um, yeah, we don't like to live out of, around boxes. So we don't fuck around. We get shit happening. And then... I get a week's work with my brother and basically I'm watching like a hawk trying to polish up old skills and sharpen my knowledge because it's, it's a different world down in Perth with different principles, different uh, materials, different um, yeah, regulations. Everything's different. The way you do things is different and I had to refresh my, my mindset and my knowledge. Um, and then basically after a week's work with my brother, I got a really good gig working with an, uh, uh, an old friend who was in a similar stage of life, two young kids. He was running his own business, just recently going out together and, and I started working alongside him and, and, and learning how to run a business, I guess. Um, it was good work. I was gaining good practical knowledge of running a business and, and quoting and, and, and all those kind of things which I'd never done before. And things were, for me, things were off to a really good start. Um, Plenty of work was going on. I had small jobs coming in. I had worked my friend, other small jobs coming in, getting a few jobs of my own. Um, but Ems was struggling fitting back in pretty much. You, you were working for Silver Chain? Yep. yep. Started casual with Silver Chain, which was, yeah, look, it was good. It, I, I, I loved commu- I love community work. Not loved. I still love community work. And I love nursing. So, I mean, it was good. It was just a different, a different pace. Well, as everyone knows, a lot more traffic um, and it was just, yeah, I kind of felt like I didn't quite enjoy it like I thought I'd enjoy being back for the reasons I think, I, I, I mean, I still do and it's, I love being a nurse in in the community in a rural town. It's, it's so rewarding, I guess. But um, yeah, look, I wasn't sure where I wanted to be when we moved to Perth in yeah. my career and that's the other part. I think that's... You were coming Why from, you'd done something. some community nursing up here, working on the ward, um, you, you, then you went back down and you're working with a group of girls you didn't quite click with in a job you weren't quite sure about and uh, you were having a bit of trouble fitting in. I did, no, that's not, yeah, look, I not quite click with, they were just, um, like any anything, it takes time when you, especially when you're casual, I think that the problem is I had some beautiful people I worked with, but it was one of those things of trying to have concrete friendships and um, people that your colleagues are, you know, already have their own circle of, you know, of friendship in there and being a casual, you are on the road as well and you're in a different team each you're day. O- so that's the, that's the problem is definitely more isolated and the driving was most of my work and I went, oh, like I want to be out in the community but I don't want to be driving, I want to be nursing. So that's where I got a bit, a bit sort of disheartened in community nursing Especially in the, in the city. city, yeah. And yeah. you didn't have much time to fall in um, and to, to figure it out because come November yeah. that year, we've <laughs> yeah. been down there, August, September, October, hits November and we find out MZ is pregnant with number two, which we didn't really plan yeah. for. You know, we tried for so long the first time round that we didn't think it was going to happen so easy the second time round. So we stopped using contraceptive and then contraception and then bang, she falls pregnant. Uh, that was Yeah, it was real quick. So... 
you know, we just moved. We just moved cities, you know, from the, from the Port Hedland back to the city. I'm working for myself. Emma's got this job. She's working casual there. And then, bang, she falls pregnant right before Christmas. And, and, and it, was a, it was a hectic little, um, little time there, basically. And um, where am I here? We find out she's pregnant. And then, and then yeah, well, next yeah. month we went to Bali for, for her mum's 50th. And I'm pretty sure this was the third set of holidays in a row where Em's had been either pregnant, breastfeeding, and then again pregnant. So you are pregnant the first Christmas. Yeah. And then you are pre- <laughs> breastfeeding the next holidays. You know, so you're still you know, no drinking, anything like that. And then again, we go to Bali with your family, your mum's 50th, yeah, yeah. and you're pregnant again, and you're not a good pregnant person <laughs> in term. In first term, you're like nauseous. First semester. I mean, yep, first, first semester, first, sorry. Yeah. Semester, yeah, it's just... Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not easy to be around. It's sleeping or trimester. That's the word. Bloody first yeah. term. First yeah, semester. I'm like semester trimester. Yeah. yeah I think it's um. Yeah, no, no, I'm not. I'm not an easy pregnant person first time. Like, and, every, and a lot of people aren't. You, you know what it's like when your hormones are all changing. You're lethargic. You're nauseous. Well, I'm talking to women here because <laughs> I've recently been working with poor, the poor girls at work that have up this way now. They were. All pregnant, and I feel from because I go, oh, it's. I just I remember that. Yeah, so you but were ratchet, you were crook, yeah. and we went to Bali again, uh, and you couldn't couldn't really get into the the spirit of things. And then come back from that. Sorry, I'm moving along a little bit quick. We got things yeah, to get. Yeah, we've got to. a lot to get through. So yeah. come back from that, and we go to you. We go to the UFC in February of that of 2016 um, to watch Ronda Rousey get knocked the fuck out. Um, and hold on, hold on. I thought that I thought we'd got pregnant. When we'd watched that, I no, that was we Eminem. Oh yeah, yeah. Yep. So see we all went, these, see all these holidays. We, she was pregnant planned. when we were in when we were in <laughs> Melbourne to watch um, Eminem, and then she was uh, pregnant again when we were in Melbourne to watch the UFC. <laughs> I wasn't. I was loving life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were great. Um, great holiday. That. And then, sorry, that was that happened. So before that happened, yeah, you got the main event. Yeah, we 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 get back from Bali and. Um, Emma was pregnant and we weren't sure what was happening with your work. Had you left your job then by that stage because you went to, to Oh, that's right. So, yeah. So, in the midst of um, just starting has me. I've never – I've always stuck with jobs for like years rather than a few months. So, I already felt the guilt. So, I'd been looking for other jobs going, oh, am I settled here? This was sort of leading up to Christmas before, all, you know, the pregnant thing came on board. And I went – June Lup had a job that came up at Junelup Hospital and I went, oh, look, you know, maybe I do want to get back in the hospital system, give that a go. Maybe that's what it is. It's just community isn't for me in the city. So I did get the job on a um, ward in the hospital and I was doing all of the training packages and that before we went to Bali. Then when I was going to get back, I was meant to be starting, I think, just after Christmas, the job. So I'd given my notice to Silver Chain. I was only casual. They were good to me. I just felt bad. And then... Um, I was meant to start this job after Christmas. So before Christmas, obviously, was mum's birthday. And then after Christmas was the tragic event we're about to... So you were going to be starting this new job, yeah. And you were, yeah. you were sick, you know, first, first trimester, all that kind of stuff. And then, okay, so Boxing Day 2015, uh, we'd had a big Christmas day. Um, you know what it's like. It's a big day. And then the day after, we go and catch up with Emma's extended family down south of the river in Perth. We wake up, we're all we're a bit dusty and hungover, um, Shady's up, running around, we're trying to get ready to get out the door because we're late everywhere we go, big hour and a half drive ahead of us to get to this lunch for her extended family, Christmas do, 
And um, packing the, the the way our house was set up, it's re, re, uh, rear access blocks, and you we couldn't fit either of our cars in the garage, so we had to park a long ways along the side of the street. Um, and being a corner block, we couldn't park in our driveway. We had to park about 10 metres up the road, so right next to the fence. You could only get in one side of the car. So when, whenever we wanted to leave, you'd have to walk outside, jump in the driver's um, seat of the car, drive the car forward to our driveway so you could access all the doors, load the car up, and then go. I was loading the Esky. Emma was going to go move the car forward so we could put our things in there and go, and little Shady was 18 months old at this stage, pottering around the place. 15. 15 months old, pottering around the place. Um, like I said, hung over, a bit dusty. Um, em said, I'm going to go move the car. I said, no worries. No one specified where Shady was. I assumed she knew where he was. She assumed I knew where he was. As she went out to move the car, the door didn't latch behind her. Um, I'm not looking. I'm doing what I'm doing. She hops in the car. Shady follows her out the door. Again, she doesn't, doesn't know this. She hops in the car, big Nissan Patrol. Um, and she gets jumps in the driver's seat to, to move the car forward. You cannot see anything around you, like as, in, as far as little kids. Um, she starts to move the car forward and she feels something under the back driver's wheel, so the driver's side back wheel of the car, she, and she thinks, oh, shit, I've hit one of the cats. So you want to talk, like us, a... talk us through this section here until, until you scream for me? Yeah, um, I think it was when I got in the car and I just – it's weird. Is I don't even remember going forward or backwards, and I still say this story and I go – Sometimes I say backwards, sometimes I don't even remember it. It's kind of a blur, but I just remember this bump, like a like a going over a speed bump, but then that sick feeling in your stomach, and I don't know why, but I just thought, oh, Monty, our cat. You know, he's always chilled and slow, but part of me then, didn't, I didn't even think, kid, and I opened the door, and then just, I still remember this clear, though. There's a oh, like shade on the back um, passenger like uh, so, wheel. Sorry, you. I'm really like bad. I'll I, explain I, it for you. She she's in the driver's seat. She opens the door, and on the back wheel of the driver's side, yep, between the front and the back wheel. So he would have been at near the driver's door. She started moving forward underneath the tire. That's right. Yeah, and I could just see his head looking towards, well, trying to turn his body, twist his body, and look towards me. But it looked like it was his torso, like his chest, and down I couldn't see any of that and I just was like oh no I just I was just yeah I can't even remember that she started screaming Dave 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 and I thought what the fuck is that and I've run out to the to the garage door and swung it open the car is between me and what's going on so I can just see Emma standing in the bottom of her car screaming Dave Dave shade shade I said what about him she said I've run him over yeah and then I don't and I in my head when she said I've run him over right so I can't see what's going on. She's just said, we've run him over, we've run him over. And in my head, I think she, I think she means, we've run him over as in, he's done, it's cactus. And I say, like, what the fuck? And I run around to that side of the car and I see Emma standing outside the car with her hands up in the air screaming, not knowing what's going on. And between, underneath the back wheel, lying on his side with one hand between his legs, is the, the car, the wheel of the car, up to about just past his waist on his body he's got one hand free one hand stuck between his legs and he's kind of writhing around he looks like he doesn't know what's happening he looks a bit like an animal that's been half run over and the bottom half is not working properly I don't know if you've ever seen that before that's the vision I have burned in my he's not making any noise is he he's he's not not making any noise he's kind of just squirming and Emma said what do I do what do I do I don't know whether to go forwards or backwards because she's freaking out 
I said, jump in the car, slowly drive backwards. And she says, backwards, backwards? I said, yes, backwards, slowly. So she jumps in the car, she puts it in reverse, and she basically just rolls off him. As soon as the pressure's released, he starts screaming. I look down at him, his legs and his arm and his waist is all looks mangled. His legs look mangled. Yeah, red. the tyre, like the tread on the tyres. Like imagine that being imprinted but like deep in your legs. It looks like, it, to me, I didn't realise until after that's – that's what it was, but it looked like he just he he looked like that he had his bones were just flat. crushed, and I was like, oh, this is just. But I know in my head that that's when that medical mind came in when I got in the car. I was going, oh no, what if I like you know when you see on the movies when someone releases pressure and someone's trapped in a, a vehicle or whatever. I'm like, what if I'm going to release something and that's going to be it? And then I'm going, well, you know, in the blood then just just you know it just starts rushing. I'm like, or I've done more damage. I'm going, well, I'm going to have to get him out of it either way because. He can't just be under this tyre, but we did. And I remember this is where our neighbour comes in and she's one of the so emergency nurses and she heard me screaming and Dave shouting out, I don't know what we were doing then, but we went into well, kind I'd, of panic mode. And I ran in and grabbed him and basically I, we assumed his legs were completely cactus. They yeah. looked like they were just flat. We were screaming, not knowing what was going on. A neighbour ran out, she's a nurse, and she sort of took control of the situation for us, called an ambulance. Well, I was got on the us- phone to them. Okay. I called the ambulance got you, you guys took over. Got us inside, got us sitting down, checking his vitals and just calming everybody down and yeah, and trying to take control of the situation, which she did, and it was really good. Yeah, it was so – they were just – they were amazing, so they that's were, what we needed. They were great, yeah. And then the ambulance came and, and picked us up and shortly after they getting there, they put Shady on the, the whistle. What's in the, the Well, whistle? we were sitting out the back for a bit and I was the police rocked up and that's when they were questioning because we were trying to get things going. The ambos were saying – you know, we've got to get moving. And they were giving him um, pain relief in the back and he was in my arms. But they also, obviously, when you get a phone call from um, from the ambulance because they're, you know, they have that mandatory kind of reporting. They have to let the police know, oh, someone's run over their child. Like, it, you know, it could be – I could have been anyone, a psychopath. So the police, their priority was to try and get some, you know, get me breathalyzed and get some facts out of me. But our priority in the ambos was also when they got there was let's get it, the, the – get this place moving and get him there so um that was frustrating but I mean yeah look it was it needed to be done so we got to the June hospital and um that you know it was still a blur got there and had him assessed and they were they were amazing as well he went straight into the trauma and the resus and like um x-rayed him and went up to the peds ward but before we got there like my amazing family, obviously, like both sides. My parents were on the phone straight away and um, Dave's whole family came in. Mine were already sort of south anyway, so they, you know, were quite a fair bit away, but they came in later that afternoon. That was um, amazing support we had from family. I just was blown away. But we got up to the ward and um, the x-rays was um, done and said that, you know, he just had a simple hairline fracture on his uh, right leg, I think it was, and he just had a back slab on that for a couple of weeks. So really, really lucky. I mean, it was amazing. It was uh, the the entire weight of one of the tyres of a Nissan Patrol on top of two-thirds of his body or, or, or half of his body. And basically, yeah. we, we, we there's, two, I guess, a couple of things that we credit that to. One, young kids being so malleable, their bones, as that, at that bendy, young stage. Very bendy. <laughs> and, and, and also, it's weird to say, but he was wearing these thongs, these cork thongs. They're about Jesus sandals. Yeah, the the, the <laughs> sole was about twenty five mil thick, twenty mil thick. They were big, thick sandals, and they were bigger than his foot wide. So if you imagine your foot on 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 its side with a 
a cork thong that's bigger than your foot. We think it kind of acted as a bit, as a bit of a wedge or a chock that the wheel w- it would have taken a lot of the weight of that wheel because the thongs were the, the cork was undamaged when the car came off him. So that would have taken a lot of that weight. Otherwise, you'd think his ankles and stuff would have at least been squashed. Yeah. And he wouldn't have been able to take the weight of that car. So that and being young and malleable, you know, he really got out lightly and got out with just a, a, few, a fracture in his leg. He had a back slab on for six weeks and he was a happy, healthy little boy. And, and as far as... Well, it was meant to be six weeks. They did two weeks because it was more... That's right. He was they walking around it anyway. was fantastic. So, and, yeah. and, and as far as, as for all practical reasons, we just got on with life and moved and everything was was fine. I, for the next six months to nine months after that, I had... I'd drive along and I'd see this vision of him stuck under the wheel, squirming like a squashed animal, and it would make me feel sick. But it didn't plague me throughout my day, day in, day out. Um, whereas M was really, really messed up by it. I mean, she felt him underneath the car. She felt more responsibility over the over the incident than 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 she figured thought that I had. Where I I don't see it that way. I see it as yeah, both of us. Yeah. It was just it was one of those things. We let our attention slip for a moment and one of the worst things that could happen happened. Nobody's fault. No one was irresponsible. Just shit happens. But she took all the blame on. She felt him underneath the car. She looked out the way, out and saw herself in the car on top of her son. And really it fucked you up, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> she got yeah, later diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder from it. And, and, and for myself, I, I couldn't understand why it was something that plagued you like the way it did. Like I said, he's happy. He's healthy. We, we're all fine. He doesn't remember. There's he remembered no- for f- the first three months, I still remember. It's really weird because I remember it being randomly. I, 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 the memory in our family is amazing of <laughs> certain things. So, like, I do remember getting home one day and I was driving and I remember that was the last time that – and that was in about oh, – would have been about March the following year. That last time – and I went, wow, he hasn't actually struggled and screamed and cried for me to get him in the car. And it was like three months of getting him into that car to leave in the mornings wherever we were going or to drop him off at daycare. And it was like it, the guilt would come rushing back into the flashbacks because he knew he was still really young and he knew. It was only when we got in the car and, that, and that's why I think I've resented the house too because I was like, oh, I just want to – there's yep. no other way I can't park anywhere else. I've got this ha- this car that my kid's petrified being in and I just wanted to just get rid of the car and get rid of the house and I felt that that would fix you that tied feeling. It, all. it was weird. You tied it all in together. Yeah. Every time she saw her car and she walked out the back and went to hop into her car and started her car up, she'd have this same sick feeling. So as I'd shut every door, I'd check every – even though he would be in the car, I'd just be yeah. double-checking. It was just – I became a wreck of just nerves. So. Yeah, she, she had this recurring incident in her, in her mind and, and for me I thought, you know, yeah, it was horrible and I have this this terrible picture of my son underneath the car that, that upsets me when I think about it. But for the most part, you know, he's, he's healthy, he's happy. And I was yeah. able to move on. And this is where, I guess, men and women differ and personalities differ and someone with depression and anxiety and someone without. It's just two different pathways that we took to, deal, to dealing with it. Um, I mean, within a year and a half, two years after that event, I'd be making, you know, Small little jokes about it. I'd say to Shady, "Come on, mate, get out of the way. Don't walk on the road. You've already been run over once, you know." And and for me, it's it's done and dusted. It's, it's in the past. Whereas Ems was really didn't find any humour in that. It took her a long, 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 long time to to deal yeah. with it, and, and that then, frustrated me. Well, yeah. Now I actually I randomly put in, and it sounds sick, but a funny the the way to talk about. It, I mean, I went. I, I still speak to my amazing therapist. That's just got 
me through trying different, you know, strategies of thinking and medication too and all that. But definitely combination and I always say whatever works for the individual to, to help you get your head back into a better place and I still have moments. Um, but I think the joking part of it now is I say it now as I used to think, oh, that people are going to judge and the stigma and, and whatever. So I used yeah. to sort of hide. I had photos of him with his cast on his leg and I wouldn't put it on Facebook or I wouldn't show anyone or I just pretend that event didn't happen or I wouldn't have taken many photos then because I just was ashamed that I stupidly – didn't want people to yeah, ask. Yeah, I didn't want people to ask the questions because I knew I couldn't, one, talk about it and two, um, I felt like a crap mum and that's that's something I, you know, I'm fine with talking about now and now I just actually – the first time I did talk about it in a joke was in Target they were selling the exact same shoes and a mum was umming and ahhing about buying them, the ones he was wearing in his accident, these cork ones. And I was like, no, nah, they're really good. Just this sound like a crazy lady. I was like, they're good. Yeah, they um, yeah, my son's got those, and they yeah, they saved his definitely saved his legs when I ran him over. And then I kind of just left it at that and walked away. And I went, whoa, that's the first time I mentioned it, and I sound like a psycho. And this <laughs> poor mother's like, who is this crazy lady that's run over her kids and she's trying to sell shoes to me? But whatever, I kind of was. That was my way of just having a random joke. It was a bit sick, but it. It then flowed on and I could deal with it better and talk about it. Um, Humor is how we deal with things. Yeah, yeah. Or sarcasm. Sarcasm is a big one. That's my dad. Um, I still use a lot of sarcasm. It helps. But it's definitely a sign of insecurity in certain reasons too. Like that's – yeah. But so that, that, that happens and, and I mean life just has to keep – life goes on. Life keeps going on. I land a big contract at work. I'm starting to learn a lot but I'm working a lot. I'm working – Six days a week, 12 to 14 hour days, quoting after work, um, chasing up money from other quotes. You know, there's a lot of stress on M and home life and she's pregnant and not sure what she's doing in her job and now she's got this PTSD. Well, and that's where I didn't, no, I didn't. So the June Lop job, we missed that. that So I started that and I was, so when the accident happened with Shade, I was six weeks pregnant with Heidi. The nausea was just full, you know, full on. I was meant to be starting my new job after the accident, what, three days after? And this yeah. is the, probably the typical me. I went, you know what? And I ran it past. I remember ch- chatting to my aunties, a nurse, and I was like, do I, don't I? And, you know, take time off and, you know, d- dwell on the, you know, the, the morbid details and relive it every day or do I just press on forward? And, you know, she, she kind of was like sort of saying to me, it's what sort of works for you, but giving me that push as well that I needed to see if I, you know, could push myself into a different non-blaming mindset and, and go and work and start this new job and I I did it a few days after the accident and I think it was a mixture of being pregnant and nauseous and I just wasn't coping. I think was, I did a week a of co- orientation, confidence, everything was just not good and I felt guilt. Yeah, it was a cocktail son. of a bunch of things. You yeah. weren't you were you were pregnant. You weren't feeling well. You weren't even sure about the job. You just run over your son and was de- were dealing with the aftermath <laughs> it was of all just that. A bad it was time. A, it was a bad bad yeah. time. And that and, week and of just decisions that I didn't want to have to make. So I you know went I say stupidly. I felt guilt about it, but I pulled the pin and went, no, nah, I'm not doing this. Um, and then I f- was feeling worse because I'm going great now. The pressure's really on Dave because you know for any s- subcontractor or any you know business owner, you know what it's like when you. The pressure's just on you and you're a family and a mortgage and finances and we're really just trying to get back into the routine and it was hard and the pressure was on Dave again. So Yeah, and look, I'd never ran my own business before, so It was a learning was a, it was a learning curve and learning you know, in business costs money. So I'm working flat out. Um, money our money that we had in the bank was being chewed up. 
uh, as I was fronting up cash for jobs and then chasing cash up after and really wasn't being efficient in, in the business at this stage. I'd been working for myself for three months or something, you know. Yeah. Um, and learn, I was learning a lot, but it was really frustrating from both sides. I felt like I wasn't being supported by Ems because she was, you know, stressed about me not being there and, and about money all the time. And she felt like she wasn't being supported at home within the family, you know. So it's both sides stressful going back and forward. Again, there's that gap between us sort of starting to, to open up. So from January to March, it was basically like that. Stressful, but I, I was enjoying it because I was, I, was I was learning a lot. I was getting work. I, 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 did, I really felt good. I was very, very driven and, like I said, a man possessed. And then I went back to work. So I had about a month off and I then went and I got hold of my old job and I went, look, in my head, I need to get back to work. I need that. I love that. It gives me a bit of, you know, purpose and I'm, you know, a routine. I mean, sometimes I think every mum that has returned to work has always got that feeling of, oh, is, is this the right thing? But the ones that do and know that that's the right thing is in their head and is because they need that's that drive because they love their, their work or they're passionate and or they feel they need that purpose and that mum time out, which work randomly does feel that so I asked my old job back at Silver Chain I told them look I'm by the way a couple of months pregnant and um, they were great they were really good like they said yep we'll have you back on board and I was working in something that I was started to feel comfortable in because I knew that orientation that early days was over so did that through the pregnancy and that helped a bit of financially and and mentally for me too so it did but um, again during that time you still had the, the post-traumatic stress disorder and things were unsettled and then, right, and during all that time, um, I guess I'm trying to emphasise that we're, we're going different directions at this stage. I'm flat out with work. Uh, things are starting to go really good for me. I employ, I put a guy on, Jack, young Jack, starts working for us. Work's starting to come in, but they're all small jobs. So I'm chasing work, This and this is the kind of thing that stressed me as well, but Emma out a lot. So Monday, I'm finding job for, jobs for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Friday, Saturday, I'm finding jobs for Monday, Tuesday. And it was like that day in, day out. Quoting after work, invoicing after work, chasing invoices up, doing the work during the day. Um, I cannot switch off. I'm determined and I'm, I'm determined to put all the work in to make sure that I give everything I've got for this business so if, that I know that I left every stone unturned. You know, I didn't want to do anything half ass And I'm enjoying it. I was enjoying learning. I was enjoying the challenges. But the dynamic at home with... Money's starting to dwindle out. Em's being pregnant. She's worrying about when she's got to stop working. Uh, still the post-traumatic stress disorder and the, the depression's all still there and the anxiety, that's all still there. Um, we're the doing, home birth. We're doing work. Yeah, we're doing work around the house, fixing up the house, the patio, the deck, the gardens, etc. We're planning a home birth for this birth as well because Em's really anxious about having to go into the doodle up, into the, 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 um, the birthing um, system in in um oh, she's changing one of my I knew what it meant she's um changing some of my notes she's really Medi- nervous about having notes. to go to have a have a um her birth, give birth at the hospital um after the experience we had up here in Headland so we're planning a home birth which was all kind of up in the air as well absolutely terrified I didn't know Dave was terrified I was like yeah let's do a home birth because my mindset was I want a water birth had a water birth in Headland Perth you can have water birth but you can have a water birth, but not at a hospital near where we lived. And I was, it's, it's, you know, luck of the draw if you get the, the bath at King Eddie's or whatever, from what I've been told, but you know, I could be wrong, but it's, yeah, it was a, a wild 
a, a yeah decent drive to get there. So I thought, look, if we have a home birth, we can definitely have a water birth. So yeah, we were a little bit naive to all the other risks that were. And possible. look, this is a lot to do with anxiety. She was her, her anxiety at giving birth in the hospital outweighed her anxiety at the the, the risks to do with a home birth. And, yeah, you know, like you look at. You can go off the old adage that, oh, we've been, people have been giving birth since, you know, the, the dawn of humankind, you know, where, where bodies are made to do it. They do it bloody all around the world in third world countries, all this kind of rah, rah, rah. But the, the, the fact of the matter is it's a lot safer to give birth in a hospital around professionals and that's why we do it the way we do it. Depending on your circumstances. I don't want to – I don't – I mean, I'm, I'm a no. nurse. I don't want to rat on on home birth um, midwives because I tell no. you what, our one was amazing, which we'll get to, and, and she was a great support yeah. to the end even – yeah, you know, you make, even with a... circumstances, but but the thing is, is I knew, and each week I had to get appointments at the Dulop Hospital to be signed off because of being on antidepressants, because of having a a um, underactive thyroid. I needed to, and because of the um and r- the recurring um complications you had after childbirth with Shady, which I said no, we, no, that wasn't because that, remember that's why they wanted they weren't the doctor didn't want to oh, sign you off. Well, yeah, that and it wasn't clear. So after Shade, I had more of a a tear. Second degree tear below. Won't get into you know details of. We all know what your vaginal tears are like for <laughs> after childbirth, but I mean it wasn't. It was a very awkward tear, as we'll say. I don't really, um, yeah, I don't really know, but it was. Yeah, it was with yeah, which was you know, hundred mils of fluid no, in it, three hundred mils of fluid, mils in, of fluid it. in it. So Put, it was need to be you know cut open after um, cut that little <laughs> sucker open and drain it out <laughs> just to drain the blood that was pulling you know after childbirth the first time but i mean the problem was and the part that it was just miscommunication between hospital um, records we didn't have down in perth that were from up here so the, the doctors were based off my story and i really am i'm not a midwife and i'm not an obstetrician so i just said basically you know the basic facts of what i you know from a a mother point of view felt happened and they kind of put it in their boxes high risk and didn't really look into it further. So I also had polyhydromnia, so extra fluid around the baby. Um, this was second time around. So there was all these little things that they just wanted to monitor. So I had to go weekly obstetrician appointments at June Lup until it got to the point of them signing me off and saying, look, you're, you're suitable for a home birth. And we got to 30, was it 38 weeks, I think, at a big blow-up pool in my living room, ready um, to go. Yeah, and that was, yeah, never eventuated to a home birth, so we'll get into that. So, August 2016, Heidi's born, not a home birth. Um, there was complications, and we were rushed into Junalup. I bled at home. I called my home birth midwife. So, I actually got assigned to a new home birth midwife um, the last week because... Um, beautiful Sue, who I don't know if she'll listen to this. Um, she was the really uh, amazing, supportive home birth midwife through my whole pregnancy. But she, um, yeah, she resigned her own um, personal reasons and um, kept in touch with me. So she, um, yeah, anyway, I her colleague t- took over um, the week before I had Heidi and um, I gave her a call in the morning of... 9th of August and said, look, I'm bleeding. I don't know what's going on. And usually get the whole, is it a show? Is it just a little bit of a spotting, blah, blah, blah. I was like, no, it's a tap and it won't go off. And she was like, look, you can't have a home birth. You need to go straight to Junlap. I'll call them and let them know you're on your way. So Dave, I just, 
told him that morning because I had a stretch and sweep the day before anyway at home. From, the old stretch and sweep. From the home midwife, um, home birth midwife. For any of you blokes out there who don't know what a stretch and sweep is, it's when the good old docs slaps on some rubber no, gloves. midwives, thank midwives you. Midwives slap yeah. on some rubber Sorry, gloves. Shove the old digits up your wife and give her a good stretch and sweep around the outsides to get things happening. Insides, actually. Well, the outsides of your insides. So on a on a nice so on a nicer note on a, a more professional beautiful birthing moment let's rephrase that they prepare your cervix for labour it's not guaranteed it's going to work or not so the, let me paint a visual the sick, no no old love slaps on a oh on a latex gosh. glove and then she gives you an evil grin gets down on her hands and knees spits on her hands. Just shoves the thumbs in and basically gives it a rub around the outside. Now you're really making this podcast sound trashy. <laughs> okay, so let's just, we're going to focus back in on the beauty of birthing. So it's not, the moment's beautiful, the other stuff's not. So we'll go, we'll go, we'll fast forward now to the actual day because that's just ruined that moment. Um, no one enjoys a stretch and sweep, by the way. But. It might have worked. But I had the conversation with Dave that morning. I was like, oh, cramping this nap before. And he's like, are you sure you're not in labor? I said, no, no, no. It's all right. Go to work. Go to work. Peak hour traffic. Yep. He was right into it when I called him and I knew I was in labor that day after the phone call to the midwife. And he gets back strutting. Oh, just have a shower. No, you won't just have a shower, Dave. We are going to hospital. Fluffing around like it's yeah, normal. Yeah, a little bit cash. Yeah, very. Just a bit. And my mum actually came before and I was a bit cash because I didn't have a bag packed or nothing because I didn't think I was having a, a birth at the hospital. I didn't think I'd, you know, have to rush and whatever. Mum's panic mode, you know, because she's my mum and we that's what they do. We were close to due date though, eh? Yeah, about, I think, 13th year, about three or four days off. So, yeah, we were close. So, we knew and I was huge. I we didn't have a day bag packed because we were, we were assumed we were having a home birth. Yeah, and that's it. That's it. So I was fluffing around. I think I packed about the same toiletry about four times and then I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So we knew I was in labour. So we got to the hospital, boom, straight in there. Doctors are panicking, lots of wanting to induce, wanting to put a cannula in, blah, 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 blah. Midwives were a bit more... Just slowing own. down your... I didn't know if I had to rush up because I know i No, no, no. You know, this bit's okay. important. You're this is important. Okay. miles an hour there. Tell me to slow down. Yeah, I just don't want to bore people right. with details, but I don't know if I'm talking too much. We're into the hospital. Things Cat. becoming rushed. Becoming forced. rushed, forced, very much to have a, you know, induced or a Caesar because the doctors were panicking that I was losing too much blood. Babies, you know, I'm hooked up to the monitor, CTG monitor to see if she, or we didn't know if it was a she or a he at this point, but... We know now, she, and um, see so she's... Had to have antibiotics because of the leak? Uh, did I? Or was that she had them when she first came out? No, when she first came yeah. out. Um, so, no, no, no. No, they just put a cannula in because they were thinking, we, were, you know, we're going to be inducing me to just get the show on the road. And I hadn't, my waters hadn't broke or nothing yet. So... The doctors were pushing I, to do everything yeah, and surgically, I, medically. Yeah, medically and... and the midwives. Well, I had one midwife there, Jenny, and she was great. And then all of a sudden I went, actually, Sue, my midwife that had home birth one that had, you know, resigned following the previous week, she said, look, let, let me know if you go into labour, blah, blah, blah. Text her. I didn't expect her to come in, but she, boom, she's straight in there as a support. And um, they were amazing. Batting, they and were batting they were for us to, to have a to natural To try birth. natural as long as, and the whole way through is, I'm not for or against Caesars. I'm not for or against any other medical interventions. As long as, as long as there's, it's warranted, and as long as it's explained to the mum as well and the dad that that it's needed, and the baby is, you know, that the the baby's not safe. Then yes, go ahead with what's suggested. But if if it's just out of 
lack of experience or knowledge or what's the the, the safer bet um, for the practitioner, then no, I'm not for that. I'm, I want to know that we could exhaust every natural option before we go down that path if my baby is safe to be given, you know, the natural delivery. So, look, Sue and Jenny, the two midwives, they were great. And they funnily enough, worked as home birth midwives years prior to that. So they were a good team together, which I needed, support, um, and Dave. And they said, look, let's go give Emma, the doctor said, half an hour you've got to um, induce, like, well, naturally, sorry, break her waters. And then inductions considered after that. They said, look, give us an hour, like, and they were sort of umming and ahhing with times. And they said, look, let's just go in the other room get comfortable and boom, we'll try and break a water. So they broke my waters and I think I advanced. So we went into what the hospital. What they were hospital. doing, they were rubbing you in your back and putting pressure on certain points. No, well, that was in the labour. So they got the, they actually broke my waters with the little glove thing with the hook on it, whatever. The, oh. Sorry to my midwife friends, I don't know all this terminology. The old hooked glove. Yeah, so another another delightful moment in prior to childbirth. I call it the come here finger. You can imagine I'm really thinking this. Here. This is a moment here, and you're just making it sound sick and right. sexual. So I'm just trying to give some. There's nothing relief. sexual about the moment. No, no, there. it's not, just n- not so not sexual, but just the the motion of come here. That's what you do with the oh, hooked glove just, finger. We, to we break don't need that water. visualization. It's like a Halloween costume. I'm visualizing here. Right. Moving we'll on, moving on. Um, so we, yeah, my like far. What when did we go into the hospital? Ten thirty or something. My Heidi was born at like eleven fifty-five. So. They broke my waters. I had her within, actually it was 10 o'clock. So two hours I think of just fluffing about and she came out. Yeah, she was a, like a freight train. But And if you're having a little bit of trouble following the story through here, welcome to the mind of my wife. This is what it's like. I'm very inside, disjointed. This is what it's like inside her head. It's like a frigging basketball bouncing from side to side on the way down. This is what, this is what it's like. So 14 years, he enjoys it really. Yeah, so... I'll step in for a minute here because Emma doesn't remember shit well, from the actual birth. Because she, I was pushing a freaking watermelon you were, out. You did well. But women go have a, some well. sort of euphoric release of uh, um, natural well, – a cat's doing weird things. I don't know. He's yeah, your, body, your body releases all these natural endorphins and you go – and, and women go kind of loopy while they're, while they're – immediately after giving birth. So the baby comes out, little baby Heidi, a little girl. She comes out. We go loopy after birth. Maybe not the best term no, of words, no, but no, they. No. But you're not all there. You just lost half your listeners. <sighs> and and baby comes out and um, Emsy's off with the fairies. Euphoria finally did it. You know, it was very stressful. It was short labour. It was very stressful, rushed and forced and everything with a lot of different people. A lot of people. I had some yeah. Scottish lady then who I don't know where she came from. She's like, which is what she was anxious about in the first place. Then they. Bring little baby Heidi out, cut the umbilical cord, put her on mum's chest for a minute, then give her to me for a quick cuddle, and then pretty. This all happened very quickly, and then the midwives, I see worried glances going between them, and then they notice and say that Heidi hasn't taken a breath yet. Now I'm colour blind as fuck, so I can't tell that she's blue at this stage. And Emsla, as I said, is off at the ferry; she doesn't know what's going on. But apparently, she was blue, and she hadn't breathed yet. So, um. They were trying to... They told me to, to stimulate her like I was trying to... Like, with buy, the nipple or... No, with like... No, we didn't get to that point yet. Oh. But we like starting to touch on her chest, like just sort of like rouse her like with, you know, just tactile like... And she was just like this grey, purpley looking, just 
giant swollen up thing on my body. And she I just, looked like I, a sumo wrestler. She, she did. She looked like, and everyone says to me, baby. she looked Asian. And I'm going like, she just didn't look like she came out of me. And she was a big baby, <laughs> and she came out of a relatively small uh, area, as they all do. But she came out quite quickly, and she was swollen and puffed up for days and days afterwards. Yeah, Her eyes weren't red. She looks just. So red after, but when she was yeah, obviously. But breathing. she didn't breathe for eight minutes. I can't remember all the small little deta- details. Um, my memory doesn't work like that. But I remember um, them calling more and more people came in minute after minute after minute, and they were starting to get really quite worried about her. Um, they yeah, she wasn't breathing. Um, they were doing a full resus CPR. They were, yeah, about to do a full resus and CPR. Yeah, they had a. I remember the last thing I remember is by this stage there's probably fifteen different people in the room. No one's speaking to myself or Ems. Uh, one of the midwives was trying to calm me down a little bit. I was starting to really freak out. It basically just felt like our daughter was about to die. Um, they had her laid out on the table. This is where Emma corrected my notes. Ready to intubate. So um, they had a length of um, like straw pipe, whatever you'd call it, hose. Measured out down to her chest, up to her mouth, cut that to length, and they're about to intubate. Which, which basically you can take it here. M means what? What's what's the deal? If she was to be in, intubated. I don't know. If she state. cut a rope. I mean, freaking tube. To like, that sounds like yeah. a chippy dog. Were they cutting? They ha- the tube. They laid it next to her to measure. No, that's a- like a, a gadel, like a little mouth. I don't know what they were doing. I didn't see all that. I just remember seeing them on her chest, pushing, doing little chest compressions. But I remember they were trying to bag it and then that wasn't working and that's when the other doctors and this King Eddie doctor came in that was very it felt like the room just went still and they were all listening to him and he kind of was directing them of and I knew that from what was going on and I was trying to see past everyone trying to distract me with oh, the placenta that I had to pass and go I don't give a crap about this I'll rip this thing out I just want to know what's going on and I was trying – the distraction techniques were done. Like it was – the alarms were still going and I'm like I know what's happening here and then – you know when everyone that's, you know, if you see in a movie or for people that are listening that are medical-minded, um, when they say that we're going to call it, like they pronounce that someone's, you know, dead, um, that's what was the next part. I just uh, – I was looking at the gestures and the signals and then the quiet and I, and see, that's where I started fearing what was com- coming. See, when they said they were going to call it, this is the way I remember it as okay, – obviously they'd, they'd put her on oxygen – They'd given her the mask or whatever, but she wasn't taking any breaths still. She wasn't her, – so her lungs weren't working. She yeah, wasn't she taking wasn't. any breaths. So they were – I guess the next step is they put a pot, uh, they put a tube down well, your throat. If you're not – if you're not – so she wasn't even – But that's what – Yeah, not, so if you – she had no – she was having chest compressions because she wasn't actually producing any, any blood flow to – But what's the tube? So that's to, that's an air, that's for her airway. Okay, so she wasn't. Was, yeah, that's, that's what her. I was saying to you. They measured up this tube. There's a long length yeah, of tube. I didn't they see hold it next to her little body. So where it needs to go inside her and where it needs to come out of her mouth. They so she was meant length, to go to ICU. Snipped that it. That was the next thing. If she was, or they were yeah. about to hook that up, and there was I remember two head sort of doctors, and the main doctor who they were referring to said, "Are oh, we going to intubate now?" And he said, "Look, I want to give her one last chance. I want to give her every chance to breathe on her own." And. Uh, in that moment, within five or ten seconds after him saying that, and they were ready to, to hook all the, the monitor up, stip the tube down into her into her throat and everything, she took she took a breath. It was eight minutes from when she'd come yes, out. I don't even remember this. I so, just... And I was under the impression that once you intubate, especially a baby, something at that age, and put them on that life support system, it's very hard to get them back off. Because they start relying it's, on the they, they go off their APGAR scores and stuff. So she's not, you know, she hasn't, like with what the way they score, if she, we were worrying about brain damage, yeah. So it's more the the fact of her ever being able to 
the damage that's done from deprivation of oxygen. Right. And that's the part that was the worry. So, so there's a fine yeah. line of work, work, walking, a fine line between giving the baby every chance to, to come good naturally on her own and start breathing and, and leaving it too late and then her having permanent dam- damage from lack yeah. of oxygen. Yeah. So we were right on the precipice and the cusp of that. And then they go to, she took a breath and, they, and then, took her uh, away. again, I can't remember if they put her, after she took a breath, if they put her on, I think they put her on oxygen anyway. I, I don't know. They took I her away and remember. I got a photograph. They, they that's where her, I came They in. wheeled her out of the room pretty, pretty much straight away and I said, where's she going? And one of the doctors said, you can come with her. So I've had to say, Emma's, Emma's looking around, what's going on? What's going on? I said, they're taking our babies, taking away. She's, she's, she's finally breathing, but they're taking her away. I'm going to go with her. She said, okay, okay. So I've disappeared out the room with this handful of doctors and nurses pushing the bed with that little baby, getting whisked down the hallway into the um, into the um, special care special nursing, care yeah. nursing unit, and basically that's where we hung out um, for a while. Um, she only got basically Emma only got visits to her for feeding and, and cuddles and stuff after Breast that. Feeding, yeah. Um, she it. was in that little fucking plastic bubble um, for a, a, a week, eight days or something. No, we, she was five days um, in, in there and then we had to come back. She had multiple like, so, episodes yeah, where she, she wasn't breathing at home. So she was in some plastic bubble with all these monitors on her and she kept stopping her breathing. So she just, her oxygen levels had just dropped down to like 70% and the monitors would all go off and she'd go blue. Again, I can't see her going blue, but I'd see the monitors going off. Or it happened when we're not there and then no one would call me and I'd go to go feed her and I'd, I'd go into special care because you have to be buzzed in and there would be an empty crib. And my heart would drop and I'd go, well, oh, she just had another episode. She wasn't, you know, apneic episode. She's not breathing. So we just whipped her down to do another head CT or an X-ray. I'm like, well, maybe I need to know because, you know, you go into a bed that's empty, you think your kid's dead. Like, or just – You get that horrible yeah, feeling that's in your feeling, gut. I remember, so um, I remember wasn't, wasn't distinctly good. the feeling of sitting there at the bed with, with Ems, me and Ems sitting there. And, and after the, the, the – birthing experience we had with Shady where we were all together and we got so much time together as a unit and all got to connect and we're sitting there in this random hospital in Perth disconnected thinking we just had a baby where the fuck is she we haven't seen her for hours we're just sitting here on our own we've got to with go a photograph they gave us a photograph yeah, we've got to get <laughs> up like, walk down through oh. a set of doors down the hallway through another set of doors into the special care unit into another little room and into a plastic bubble when we're you know to, when we have to ask permission to go in there and to go look at our baby and go there it is there's our baby wow. yeah and, you know, it, and she kept stopping breathing. And then we go home for a week. Couldn't sleep because we we're wondering if she's going to friggin' stop breathing and die in the middle of the night. Yeah. And she did keep stopping this breathing. We had to go back to the hospital. Uh, June up again. We got no answers. And eventually we, we took her back to... Um, eventually we, we went we headed, went to turn around to head home. And we thought, no, fuck this. We need some answers. We need to know what's going on. We turned around, drove straight down to, to PMH, Princess Margaret Hospital. Well, I'd went for a GP check and she actually, luckily, this was after when we got discharged. So you missed that part as we, um, they said to me during like, after right. the stuffing around, let's you go check in with your GP now. Everyone knows what it's like to try and get a regular GP. You're bloody lucky if you can. So I had a lady that I'd seen maybe a couple of times, but um, whoever I could get in to see. Um, and Heidi had one of her episodes where she stop breathing in front of the GP, which was, of all places, the most safe place to have. Um, and it was, yeah, good to have someone who's seen where we were coming from, where we were panicking and not just anxious parents that our daughter actually had something going on. And then we were like, you know what, call Junal up and well, this is, it's not a, it's not a reflection on the hospital. I never blame a hospital. I just go, look, it's just sometimes there's so much going on and it's staffing or it's lack of knowledge or it's lack of um, 
I guess knowing where to go next in tests or whatever. So Look, I felt so that they'd exhausted all options and not knowing what to do next. So they're, we went to PMH. They're so flat out busy and we didn't get to any another, answers. To another second opinion, I we guess. We couldn't keep going home and coming back to the hospital every time she stopped breathing and getting no bloody answers. So we drove down to Princess Margaret, who's a, who's a children's hospi- speciality hospital. And Gone I did. now. Yeah, well, yeah, Perth Children's Hospital. Close there, down yeah. now. So we went in there and we spent another eight days in hospital. I'm working. We've got the young son. It's a... You know, it's an hour to get there in traffic each way. We want to go and see Em and Heidi every night, every afternoon. So I go to work, then go get the, the go get the kid or get someone to meet us there. Yeah, and then he shady. had tonsillitis too. Shady's sick. Emma <laughs> um, so. wouldn't leave, couldn't leave, wouldn't leave the bedside. Um, there's no accommodation or anything for adults at Princess Margaret. Jeez. So she's sleeping in a fucking chair next to Heidi's cot. No food for mum. They wouldn't feed her, so I had to go take her in food every time I'd go visit her. Um, so she's sitting there and would, didn't, wouldn't, wouldn't go anywhere, wouldn't leave Heidi on her own. So she's and I'm in a stuck. room with um, pretty much like I had, yeah, palliative people, kids. And it was just, you know, horrible. Um, yeah, the kids in So it wasn't really a good place when you feel like you're going to lose your kid and you're around other unwell terminal kids, which was, you know, like... They just were over their capacity. They didn't have any space for us anywhere. But also we need to be where they could see us at the nurse's station in case she had another episode, which she had multiple. They were waking me up in the middle of the night when alarms and, you know, going off with her stop, stopping breathing and all the ED doctors are coming up and ICU and I'm going, oh, gosh. But wrapping it all up, at the end of it, it was just a virus that was... They don't know. They and did every single her head test. CT, the first one, was query if she had a bleed because it was... And then, you know, had another one done and it miraculously there could have just been a lot of swelling and trauma from the birth that it showed that she had you know an area where they thought was a bleed and as we know human beings kids were amazing so she had a good one like a few weeks later so, so basically they didn't know yeah. they don't know what the hell was going on and after several lucky. weeks it's she stopped having these episodes but it was very, very stressful time. And obviously through this whole thing, Emma's still got the post-traumatic stress disorder, still got depression, still got anxiety. We've still got a two-year-old running around who we're trying to look after. We're still running a business, quoting jobs, working during the day, trying to make ends meet with money. Life goes on, man. And, and my hat go, goes off to these people that live with this on a much larger scale. We've only had a taste of that kind of lifestyle. What about people who have kids with cancer and yeah. mum gets cancer yeah. or dad, whatever, you know, and people have to live their normal lives and pay the bills and look after the rest of their family. And they got people in fucking hospital. they got kids who are sick. you got people in pal- palliative care. Like, it's just, your hat goes off to them. Cause we only, like I said, we had a sneak peek into that life, a little window glance. Yeah, and it's horrible. It's really, really, really hard to try and then continue a healthy life and try to make sure our son doesn't get all the stress and, and, and everything that we're all feeling in and, and try and keep things rolling for him. But basically, life ticks on. Progress on the house and the work keeps going. It's good. But like I said, non-stop quoting, working, invoicing, paying GST, tax, paying other workers, poor sleep because now, now we've got an infant at home. Um, money that we had in the bank's all dried up, so it's, it's work, living from week to week. I mean, it's all part of it, and I always said, look, maybe I'd be able to, and us as a family, we'd be able to handle one or two or maybe even three of these things at once, the move, the pregnancy, running over Shady, having the trauma with Heidi, money dramas, working full-time, all this. We'd be able to handle a couple of those or three of them at once, but when it all happened just in one big hit, it, it was too much, too much for us, and, and yeah. a lot of stress built up. And I deal with things differently. I I make a plan and run 
fucking head 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 on at it. That's the only way I know how to do it. We need to keep moving. We need to keep moving. We need to do the things that pay the bills. I've got to keep working. I've got to keep one foot after the other. Blah blah blah. And Emma handles things differently. She bottles things up. She gets overwhelmed and stressed. And then that gap between us started growing more because I'm resenting her for not getting on board and doing the things I think we need to do to, to move forward. She's resenting me for not being there enough for support. Um, and you know the the gap between us kept kept growing and to for myself on top of all that I had such a connection with my boy as soon as he was born water birth I cut the umbilical cord held him in my arms while Ems went to um, get her bleed sorted out and me and him for a good couple of hours just holding holding him um, he was in my arms from the day and my and Emma's arms from the day he was born till he's never left us for more than a couple of days at a time when we've been on little holidays um, and then Heidi was born didn't see hardly any of her for the first week of her life Brought her home, all this stress going on. And you're busy working, busy trying working, to keep going. Trying to keep to it all going. Us. And then I didn't have a connection with her. And so then I feel like a piece of shit. I come home from work, I wake up in the middle of the night, and she was the first three months of her life, she just screamed. She was just yeah, screaming, she had reflux screaming, as well, screaming. It was just, yeah, like a real colicky baby, too. So yep. it was like, yep, very yep. much positional. And if you didn't hold her the right way, or. And I felt. Just a typical little sassy thing, too. I had, <laughs> I had no bond with her, and I felt guilty because of that. And I felt like I'm a horrible person. What the fuck's wrong with with me and you know and, and I actually felt repelled from the screaming you ground through to my bones and I thought what is wrong with me I've always wanted a little girl nothing more in, in life from having a little girl now I've got her and I don't and I've got no bond to her so then there's guilt that goes ahead with that eventually I think it was about two months in because um, Shady used to love the bath, our boy. She hated the bath. She'd scream the whole time. Yeah, Eventually, weird. and we never used to take Shady in the shower because I was always worried to get covered with soap and slip out my arms and drop him on the tiles. So, but I decided I'd start taking Heidi into the shower instead and try something different. Took her into the shower and she stopped. She stopped squirming. She stopped crying. She stopped everything. And she just stared up at me with these gorgeous blue eyes of hers and just stared at me the whole time. I thought, oh, fuck me. And it happened just like that. It was like a magic moment. It was like magic. Bang. All of a sudden, we bonded, yeah. and I just <laughs> felt such a relief, weight off my shoulders. I knew I loved her. I knew I loved her more than anything else in the world, but I hadn't bonded with her. So then to finally bond with her after that couple of months, it was a big, big weight off my shoulders. It came like really. a routine when you get home I'd from get, work and you hop in, I'd just be like, jump in the shower with her. In she goes, yeah. And we had that moment it together, and, and it really, really, and she started sleeping not long after that, maybe a month after oh, that. She started sleeping. She was sleeping such a good again. sleeper, wasn't she, during the day? It was a joke. The Dad'd first, be like, far out, is she sleeping again? First year of her yep. life, she'd sleep for 11, 12, 13 no, hours every she single never night. sleeps. No, she doesn't sleep anymore. <laughs> But yeah, so now it was getting good. So look, that's a big roller coaster ride, as you can see from leaving Headland so far at this point. Um, and Emma, in that time, was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. She was going to therapy for that. We started to go to some yeah. marriage counselling because things were rough between us as well. Hey, hey, hey! You went to a couple sessions, but it got couple Dave was very much didn't want a bar of the counselling side of things because he felt he was okay and dealing with it in his own way which you know everyone does things differently I've always you know mental health go to a therapist sometimes go for a run sometimes change your diet change your way of thinking try motivational yeah I jam stuff, and whatever this. you can hear everyone, her talking in my voice right now because I, I jam this stuff down in her throat and so, guys so, take, my, take my advice from this from one fella to another it doesn't matter if you want to go to therapy or not or if you feel you need it or if you feel works. you're going to benefit from it just do it for your missus mate I didn't do it enough for her and it caused some big drama definitely and I should have just shut my mouth and gone along But you went and you took on, we had some, you know, we had some more moments, we'll get into it, but we had some bad, 
Yeah, we had some crappy times after that, like with marriage-wise. We were drifting further and further with just the, the fast pace. So I won't get into all of that, but it was definitely – and it was good for me to see a therapist too um, to get some better positive ways of thinking and strategies and understand from his perspective. So I felt it worked for me. And then I, you know, would try and understand his his sort of motivational stuff that would, you know, get his mind in a different – yeah, in a different way, so to make our family work. Look, I've never – this is something I, I, I've said that my wife's held against me for years, but I think she misunderstood what I ever meant, meant by it. But I never have understood personally what it's like to have depression, chemical um, depression, because I, I, I don't have that. I don't have a chemical imbalance. I don't have that kind of depression. But everyone gets depressed. It's everyone just, gets depressed, but yeah, I, don't, I don't have depression. Manageable. So I never understood – what it was like to have depression. And she took that as in me thinking, I just don't understand, I don't care about it sort of thing. It's not true. I do. And I understand from seeing her, and as I said, i got other people in my life who, who live with depression as well, I understand how hard it can be, and I understand it's, it, it's real, and there's that people are trying to do what they can to get through it. But I don't understand what it's like to have that fucking black cloud follow you around, to, have you, to feel like you're walking through a fog. I heard all these different ways of having it... Um, Describe people feel like there's a blanket over the top of them. They feel like they can't see past the horrible things and the, and the feelings in front of them. I, I, I don't. I, I've heard a bunch of different ways of people describing it, and I don't understand what that is. So when I'm telling her we've got to change your diet, we've got to get some exercise happening, we've got to think positive, we've got to do this, we've got to do that, take in more more positive input from you know books and podcasts and the right people around you, all, all this kind of stuff, which is all good advice if someone can. If you're not also sleep deprived. And all you want to do as a mother, and I know this sounds negative, but I was always like, hold on, I don't want him to jam. If like, oh, you're jamming all this stuff down my throat, like, oh. But then it seemed really nasty me saying that, going, it's all positive stuff. I know what he means and what he's trying to do. It works for him. He's made the time. And it's nothing to say that, you know, sound nasty here, but it, there, it, there is a bit of truth behind this is, as a mother, you definitely don't have as much time as the dad in yourself. Self-care, everyone goes, oh, make sure you always go self-care. Um, yeah, so my experience of self-care was when he's like, go see, get get a lash lift with the eyeliner. Oh, my goodness. First self-care. So I really was doing it well, wasn't I? Oh, it was, so that's one negative. I she got went this, and got her I'm lashes like, done and got like? some fucking chemicals in her eye and couldn't open her eyes for a week. I ended up getting the home doctor come out. I looked like something that had an allergic reaction to shellfish, but my eyes looked like they were literally... They were gummed shut. They were just... I just oh, I looked in the mirror and went... I can't even see, but I had to take photos because it was just unreal. So looked, she went for some lady so pampering and came back looking like a monster for Self-care. A week. Make sure you do something self-care that's familiar to start with if you're really down. <laughs> and I would say, for, going further than saying make time for yourself, I'd go as far as to say is you need to be a little bit selfish at times because you have to do things for yourself. It doesn't matter how busy you are because... If you don't, you can always find things that, oh, I need to do the washing, I need to do that, I need to do this, got to clean the house. Those are always things you need yeah. to do, and they are important. But if you don't be selfish and make time for yourself, you're going to be miserable, and then you're no good to anyone. So you have to be happy, you have to be healthy in your mind. And again, I understand this is more to, to, to depression than this, but be selfish sometimes and do things for yourself because when you come back to the house refreshed, feeling like you did something for yourself, you're going to be better for everyone else around it might yeah. piss your wife off when yeah, you come definitely. in the door bouncing off the walls because you've been to the gym and you're ready to change the world, but at least it's well, better than me being built up with frustration Within reason, it's got to be well. balanced. And I think Dave's got better. My parents would probably back me on this one is they noticed, uh, you know, the gym has always been his little outlet. Get that. 
But the gym was always it was he he used to get so down. Oh, I'm not haven't got there this many days a week that and I'm going, Hold on, you've got a newborn, you're doing a business, you're doing this and that. I haven't got there at all. Like I wanna get there. I want that release. I want that feeling of fresh. I want that. But I don't have that option because I can't get there physically at this point in my life mm. to do it like that. So I need to find an alternative. So it might just mean that I'm not gonna I mean look, gee, I haven't been to the gym for ages, like right now. It, bo- it used to bother me. It doesn't bother but me as much. you found hobbies. You but go I for found, walks on the beach. I, you collect your I'm shells. I'm looking you out you, my window right now and I've got. It's right. Sorry, I'm just trying to. We're talking over top of each other. We need to. Inter- inter- I'm getting told off here. I'm talking too much. I do this all the time. No, it's fine, but we need to. Move on. We're, I'm looking at your. Talk, one talks, one stops. One oh talks, one stops. Yeah, we're about to have a wife and a husband got, argument. Dave's got yep. pages highlighted here. I don't know where I'm up to, but geez, mate. We're Tell nearly me there. We're nearly up, there. Sort that out. So basically, yeah, the gym was my therapy anyway. And the point is you need to, you need to make time for yourself and need to be a bit um, selfish sometimes. But moving on through this story, look. Back to the script. Yes. Otherwise, we'll just sit here and yeah, quick, go around in quick. circles. November to December of that, that year, work goes pretty well. We finish the house, have Christmas at our house. It's a good time. It's a good little re... It's a good, everything's still going on in the background, yeah. but it's a good little moment in, in this story where things were, were good for, again for a while. And, and mind you, during this whole time, I was actually quite happy and feeling really motivated and pumped, which is probably part of the reason why the void was growing between us. This story, I'm telling it now, and we're telling it more from Emma's point of view, even though I'm doing a lot of the talking because I've written it down. But um, it... it I was happy. I was motivated and loving life and loving the challenges. But this is sort of more how she experienced these this, these years as opposed to how I experienced them. Um, January, July 2017, work's consistent. No big jobs though. So I'm still figuring out what I'm doing for, at the end of the week at the start of the week, which can be stressful. Um, no cash flow. I'm chasing work all the time. I've made a, a lot of progress now on on being efficient in jobs, we're not going behind anymore. But like I said, we spent that cachet of money we had as a, as a floater when we first got back down to Perth. Um, things are hard, but I'm not ready to quit. I've got the blinders on. I just want to pile everything in this basket and keep you know, driving straight forward. Emma is really over Perth. She doesn't want to be there anymore. Um, she's not working. She hasn't worked since she had Heidi as well. So, you know, we're going on... Uh, yeah, six months or something now since since she's worked at this stage. Mm. She needed to be home with you know the kids and and have that time for herself. But then at the same time, she is a, a working like she's a career woman. She is a woman that needs to be working and doing things. Some people are great at just not, and I don't mean just being a um, stay at home mum because it's a massive job. But I mean just as in that as that as their biggest job. At being a stay home mum, some people really need to be working as well. And Ems is one of those kind of women. So it's hard for her to be at home, even though she wants to be at home with the kids. There's I want to be at home. Going this will be brief, but it's probably one thing I think a lot of women want is, I want to be at home. I'd love to. I feel like I'm missing those years, Rara. But what I really want is I want someone to tell me what a bit of structure, what to do with each day. Because I would just, like, my days would go and I'm like, oh, dread the shops, dread taking them there, go to the supermarket. Oh, it's too much. I still do it. Oh, uh, like, oh, no, it's too hard basket. Can't be bothered. So I'd just drag the days out at home and it'd be boring for the kids, boring for me, get down, same mundane routine. If I was a stay-at-home mum, I feel the way I would enjoy it and the kids would enjoy it is if someone wrote me a script of how the heck I meant to manage my time. That's, yeah, that's why I need to be at work. Yeah, because that's what works like, more more scripted. Yeah. So look, I've got the blinders on. I'm trying to do everything I can to make the business work and I I, I feel like I'm not getting supported 
in the business because Ems doesn't want – she hates me working for myself. She hates the industry working in. She hates me working in, down in Perth. She's stressed out at home with all the things going on. She, I don't feel supported from her. She doesn't feel supported from me because instead of being just at home all the time helping out around the house, I'm and, and I'm, don't get me wrong, I, I feel like I'm paying myself in a bad light here. I can tell you for myself I'm a good dad. I always always have been. It's a massive part of my life. And When I'm around, when I'm with my kids, I'm 100%. I, I put my, my best effort in. But when I was working, trying to make money for us, I wasn't there enough and I just couldn't be. And when I was home, I was in the office invoicing, quoting, and, and they're things that I had to do for my job. So she felt unsupported at home as well. But you weren't going out and and, and no, being, I'm never out with like the, the boys like, drinking like or you just, had, but not even like if I feel that that would be bad. It was an agreement you'd always have anyway. Prior I'm out to working kids. Fridays. Quoting. You'd do your beers, whatever, and that's fine. It was more that one day that you'd have off on a Sunday or something. The guilt would come from both of us too, is because we had were background family that would have the expectation from other family to do stuff as well, and then we'd feel like we needed to do that for our kids and for us. But then we had no time and no friends that we were trying to build those friendships up from returning back to Perth, and it was impossible. So we felt isolated. But yeah, I, I and think that both was a of our too. sisters have their own families, their own kids, and neither, neither of them lived like you know close, close kids to us. Are older. And both of our parents were working full time, so we didn't have a huge family support there. Um, we did, but it was it was hard because they all were busy. Yeah, with they're kids. all busy doing yeah. their own thing. No holidays, months between nights out. You know, and no holidays for like over a year, no little weekend getaway. There's no date nights. No there's reprieve. no go out for dinner. There's none of that. There'd be months and months between a, a dinner and a movie night. It was just work, head down, just fucking survive, survive, survive. Depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, money, bills. Where's the money coming from? Chasing money. Need to get more work. Need to get this done. Need to get that done. And we're just drifting, 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 drifting apart, going in two different directions. So... You throw in the mix. I'd change my antidepressant in that. Well, not yet. No, not not yet. That was after Heidi. I changed Dave. To the oh, okay, you changed yeah, it. Yeah, so changed not the vaccine. You, that you was changed the, it. So you were was, different, different. Yeah. And then the yeah. so basically the relationship it was really breaking yeah. down at this stage. Flash to August two thousand. Uh, sorry, August to November two thousand seventeen. We've got the house on the market. It's all finished. We we'll get the house on the market. Our relationship's on the brink at this stage. Resentment going both ways. We're broke. We're stressed. We look at each other. We go, should we go to Headland? <laughs> Let's go back to Headland. City so gone. November that year to February um, of last year, 2018, the, the wheels are in motion. We're speaking to people. Ems is applying for jobs. I'm talking to my old company I work for up here. Um, we sell the house. We move into a rental. Emma's crazy, so she unpacks the whole fucking house full of Buy boxes. Heaps more Buys all got furniture. Space. I've never had space. When she knows we're leaving Headland in like three months. Basically, we both get jobs hooked up starting in March, and the wheels start moving to get the fuck out of out of Perth. And it was at this stage I actually picked up a whole heap of work with some builders that I know. Yeah, so there was no, yeah, so there was no stress on work at the time anymore, which was good. But you know, the money was shot through, so we were still just struggling to to play catch up and get by at this stage. We've got to release, release some stress, a bit of money from selling the house. We both score jobs in Headland. We make the, the big move becomes imminent. And then our circumstances are definitely better, money-wise, yeah. stress-wise, everything yep. like that. But um, the relationship's been severely damaged through this, this downturn, you know? Um, PTSD, depression, anger. Ems has I, – I, I didn't throw that in there. There's anger. Anger as well. So with the depression, she manages it. Some people shut down, some people go very quiet. Emma gets angry, and then I'm a bait taker, so I take the bait. So there were butting heads. Things are, things are, had been rough, right? Yeah. 
March to March 2018 to now. Yep. Uh, we move up to Headland. We move up to Headland, and it's hard moving cities again. It's it's a big, big thing in life, especially with you know a couple of young kids and giving up your whole life and your jobs and moving again. But we come up here, and it's a, it's good for us. It's the right decision. It's the best thing we bloody did. It's um, lifestyle. We've got it's old good. friends up here. It's a change of pace. I'm out of the fucking metal coffin on the freeway driving every single day. Em's just got a job back. Um, different job. It's, different yeah. job, but a job. A Working job back. in community. Working in community. Aboriginals, um, you know, Aboriginal community and, and Indigenous health, and it's so rewarding. And it's, yeah, and it's... um. It's yeah. It's feels it feels right for our family. It's the lifestyle we're looking over the ocean right now, and we're lucky. And sitting at that bench I told you about last week that I built, looking over the ocean, and having we've a got beer. a yard, and we've got a big yard, and that's Huge. all we need Huge. space for. And you know, you know, we've got our animals, we've got our amazing neighbours, we've got a we've got a community just in our little. Straight, and, and that's look, what we want. And is... look, things are good, and we, we we really went through the trenches to get back here. And and the relationship um was not broken; it was very damaged. And we're we just didn't s- have time for our relationship. Yeah. We didn't make we, the time we, in. We were surviving. We resented each we other. We resented each other because we were trying to survive for, in different ways. Yeah, it, yeah, that's it. We were trying to survive in. We were, never gave up on the fact that we we needed to to provide for our family or we needed to find answers for our health or, or things like that we always worked on those things and and, and, our, and we never gave up on our kids they're really important like the core of of what we you know kept us going as yes. a unit we never gave up on that and just before things get back to where they are now there's another little downturn in there because uh, end of last year Ems decides we'd been speaking about it on and off over the years about she decided to go cold turkey on her um on antidepressants. Right. So she gets off the the um antidepressants, antidepressants been, on been on yeah. For like oh, I've been on it since I was twenty one. Now I'm nearly thirty one. And yeah, and I decide And it wasn't good. I'll change to a different one. So I was on a SSRI, so selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. But also I thought, oh I'll go with these psychiatrists and stuff and yeah, I'll go on a different one. Venlafaxine. Now, if anyone's been on venlafaxine, works, you know. Every antidepressant's different, but everyone's different. And sometimes I thought maybe it's time for a change. No, my depression we knew was situational. It accelerated. Now, the medication's not going to just change that. It might make me better, but it actually made me worse um, when I went on that one. And then last, I, I yeah, I got more social anxiety, which it's not meant to do that. It's meant to make you more okay and comfortable and when you're anxious in, you know, large groups and stuff. So I was on that from, when did I go on that? 2016, they changed me from the SSRI to the SSNRI, uh, whatever, so norepinephrine. So I went for a serotonin reuptake inhibitor, now to a norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor. And it just made me more, um, I'd say agitated, would you say? Scattered, Scattered, agitated. agitated um, just not myself and... I no. thought last year, that's it, I'm coming off it. I'm just going to change. And I told my, my specialist that and whatever. I had no support from a GP or a specialist on how to do it. Um, everyone was giving me different doses and different regimes and I was so confused. And like Dave says, I'm always all over the shop with my mind anyway. Like I'm, I'm very 
yeah, I get sidetracked really easy and I, I was just overwhelmed. So I went, you know what, I'm doing this myself. And I went with halving the doses to quarter and then I went too soon. And I Christmas last year I had a bit of a relapse and I felt scattered, didn't know one day when I was driving. I'm like, oh, I feel like I don't really know where I am. And now nah, that was the alarm bells went off straight to the GP. Spoke to a GP in Perth when we were down there and um, just slowed the dose weaning down a bit and then came off them and went back, ended up going back on my previous ones. Well, okay, so you were off these for the Christmas holidays. Yeah, that we and just that's went when through. I la- relapsed. And it was, it was rough, man. It yeah. was really rough. I was very scattered and numb and just very agitated and I was like, that's not okay. I was saying just then, you know, when you walked out, babe, was I was driving and I felt like I didn't know where I was and I went, that's not okay. I'm You're obviously, I'm over, yeah, I'm, I'm weaning too quick. And that was something I knew, okay, just the basics of, of the um, medication is those t- side effects you just – is a sign to your body. It's too, it's too much. So I slowed it down. It took way longer and I'm a very impatient person. That's probably why I, I tried to speed it up a bit. But I um, slowed it down and then I went, okay, cold turkey and it wasn't good probably early months of this year. Well, means you really had no direct plan because there was no, yeah, no, yeah, no continuity of, of I care. I did myself and it was silly but then obviously I went to the point of taking bead out of each of it. Like it was probably – it was very much a – it wasn't a therapeutic but amount basically anyway, what happened was you get massive withdrawals from it. She was unwell, physically nauseous, uh, scattered, couldn't – she was not herself at all. And the depression, I mean, we hit rock, rock bottom again when she was off all yeah. meds. Uh, it, and we found out, look, Okay, we've tried going cold turkey off these things or at least not being on an, on an antidepressant when you've been on for 10, 10 years or whatever. You feel like it's time to maybe see how you are off them because life was going pretty good for us at the time. And it didn't work. It really didn't. It was fucking horrible. Um, and it was terrible timing over the Christmas break and everything like that. And again, we were really, really at uh, at odds again in a bad place um, in that time. And, you know, I'm the angel. My patience was wearing thin as well with, with M's through some of this. And she decided she was going to get back on um, an antidepressant, went back on an SSRI, and once that really started kicking in again, I think th- things have been on the massive on a massive upswing since then. She's found some hobbies again, which has yeah. been huge, something we've been talking about for years, and she just would refuse to do anything. Plants, you refuse love that. to do anything. I was saying, find something for yourself. Everywhere. Find something for yourself. <laughs> yeah, and she wouldn't, and now you have. She's got plants. She goes for her walks. I've got plants and shells. Dave loves that. Ah, uh, whatever. Love it. It's like a plant shell hoarder in my home. But it's you great. do these things, and, and and I think that we're really back on the pathway to being happy, healthy people. And our little daughter's here now, talking in the background. Happy, healthy people, man. We're living with depression, but managing depression. The PTSD. That's got better. A lot it's, better. It's, a lot better. Um, yeah, look, I think it's just exactly getting the chemicals right in my head with just with with the medication and accepting, and that's my biggest thing was accepting that you know what I don't I wanted to know what it was like to come off meds. I wanted to know what it was like to try different ones. I did it more for myself. I'm okay with being on meds. I think that's fine being on them, and anyone should be accepting that. And I had a good support around me at the time this time, but I've also got my three year old who's trying to talk to the microphone hold on Heidi out there but um yeah I think it's acceptance acceptance of everyone's situation and what works for you I don't care if I'm on them forever um and right now it's good for me it's good for my family so medication works and and walks on the beach 
that sounds so cliche, but it really does. I've got an amazing beach right at my front door, so that works. And and look, what I really wanted to share this whole journey, this story for was just one, talk about it, get things out in the open. Two, show that people who know me know that I'm a happy, healthy, happy-go-lucky guy. Like, you know, um, everyone is affected by depression in their own way, I think. A lot of people yeah. um, have it. A lot of people a lot know of stigma, people that have it. It's lifting, a lot of good. stigma around it, and people need to talk about it. And I want people to know that you can hit rock bottom, and I don't know if we really painted that picture well enough. There's always that um, protection in yourself to not want to paint yourself in the light where you were really down, really, really far down. I think people um, hold back from that, and I hope we haven't held back from that telling this story, but we were down, down, down. Our relationship was down. Money was down, life was down, everything was in the pits. And we fought our way back from there. We fought our way back day by day, situation by situation, in, until we got back to a place where, like I said, we're living with depression. Emma's is living with depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, these things. But it's manageable. We're managing it. We're happy, we're healthy, and we're on. We're heading in, in the right direction, in a good direction. And I think that people can do that. People can... It's just finding you again. I think that's what happens when you become parents. And you have a lot going on, especially like you're saying is you can be parents and nothing goes, you know, wrong for the start of it, you know, or you don't have any experiences that get you into that zone yep. to start with, but it will happen later. It might not. And that's great. But I think ours was, um, gosh, I'm getting distracted. Yeah, the I've kids are in here people, running them up now. But so, and basically, look, if you... If you love someone, stick stick with them through the through the bullshit. You'll find out why you love them again in the end. And on that note, um, I'll, I'll close out in a minute, but we'll have to wrap out this journey, this story now. The kids are climbing all over us. Our time here is done. Thanks for listening to us, and thanks, Ems, for coming and, and sharing that story and going through it with us. Oh, thank you. No, and I hope, I hope it might touch other people. All right. Too Inside. easy. I'm going to go touch someone up now, get rid of these kids and throw them outside. What All right. the? Average Man Podcast, episode number 45. Thank you very much for listening. See ya.